Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of Appleosophy Weekly. I'm your host, Bram Shank. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for all the latest Apple news and rumors. Also, be sure to check out this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Echo, and other podcast platforms. Today, I'd like to introduce Sam from iUpdate. Sam is a prominent Apple YouTuber covering the latest tech news and updates on Apple. As of right now, he's clocking close to a quarter of a million subscribers, and he recently introduced a new website called Apple Track, which offers a smart way for viewers to analyze the accuracy of prominent Apple leakers. Sam, thank you for joining us today. This is awesome. Yeah, hey, what's up, Rom? Thanks for having me on the Appleosophy Weekly Podcast. I'm extremely excited and very grateful you had me. It's always fun to do something like this. Yeah, it's a privilege to have you on board. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah, of course, man. You want to tell us a little bit about your YouTube channel, what you do, and, and how users can take advantage of Apple Track? Yeah, so I saw it was happening, and I'm like, a lot of people are putting stuff out there. So what if we had like a way to actually track everybody? So um, I, I started going through, like the first person I did was Minchi Ko. And then I also was like, well, I should probably do the bigger people as well. So like John Prosser's page, super easy, only had like 15 leaks at the time. But like Mark Gurman, uh, his page took me probably six to seven hours one night of because what I had to do to actually make the site, because I, I wanted to be accurate, like I didn't want it to just be some joke. Like, oh, this site's kind of good. Like I wanted to be respected. So I had to go to Bloomberg, go back to 2018, click on a Bloomberg article, read the article, summarize the article, fact check to make sure the things actually happened or didn't happen, make them red or green, add the date, and then go to the next story. So I mean, we were looking at 10, 20 minutes of story sometimes, especially for the big stuff like the iOS 13 report that he usually puts out or something. But it, it really paid off because I've seen the response and I've just been incredibly like grateful to see. Like I launched it and I was like, are people really gonna care about this? Does it actually matter? Do people just like the excitement of a rumor? You know, am I gonna ruin that with my site? But uh, it was really one of those things where it just took off and it's done really well. And like, it's great for like days where I don't have to make a video every day or I, I don't feel like making a video every day. I can just pop up an article and be like, all right, there we go. Or I'm with some friends, got to do something really quick, pop an article. I mean, I'm sure you guys can relate writing on Appleosophy. It's, it's a challenge, but it's different than video. Well, it seems like the hard work paid off. I, I think it's an excellent site. I learned about it from watching one of your videos on YouTube, and I was like, what is this Apple track? I had to check this out, and it was really cool. <laughs> Thanks. So, it, I Thanks, mean, man. hard work definitely it. paid off. It's an awesome site, and I encourage you guys down in the comments to check it out. It's awesome. So let's jump Thanks. into... Appreciate it, man. Let's jump, ready to jump into some stories? Yeah, All of right. course. Let's do it. Well, we're starting with iOS and iPadOS 13.6. Uh, this goes back to Wednesday, July 15th. We have quite a lot to cover because the show was on hiatus for a little bit. We're talking about audio stories on Apple News Plus. Uh, we're talking about Apple News Today, car key, security fixes, all these different things. So to start off with audio stories, have you used any of this stuff yet? I feel like I haven't played with it. Um, I've tried audio stories. I think they're a good idea, but... As somebody who doesn't subscribe to News Plus, like I probably should, like as a responsible citizen, like read from like reputable publications, which like I do freely through like the New York Times yeah. or The Verge or, you know, uh, but the audio stories, they're genius. It's just, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's enough to get people to subscribe to News Plus because I've, I've heard the numbers just aren't that good. Yeah, the numbers, the numbers are not that good, <laughs> but I do think it's an interesting feature. I mean, Apple's, you know, Apple likes to tout how hard they work on things. They're talking about like, okay, we have uh, professional voice actors that are reading off the stories. I had a friend that teased me about this. He said, why do you have to listen to it? Just just read it. Why are you being such a millennial? <laughs> uh, but there's 20 audio stories in total. Um, there's local news stories for LA, NY, um, San Francisco, Bay Area, and uh, Houston, Texas. So those are the only ones that are supported mm -hmm. right now, but they're they're expanding them day by day, Apple says. This car, car key functionality. How's the new BMW, Sam? How's that working out for you? Oh, man. Well, I picked up three last week for review. <laughs> you know, they're fantastic. Uh, honestly, I just, I hope Tesla gets in. I hope Tesla joins the standard because it's weird. Like Tesla and Apple and how they innovate remind me very similarly, although I'm convinced Tesla fanboys and girls are a bit more <laughs> dedicated to the cause than Apple. Like 
uh, it's just it's crazy to see what people are saying over there. But <laughs> we're I, the ones that I are just called Tesla joins. But... <laughs> <laughs> I know they're like the creators of the cult that we're following. I don't know. Um, it's it's crazy though. It's a cool feature. I, I like it. As I mentioned in my video on it, I'm like I I don't think it's gonna be useful now necessarily because you know nobody's going out, especially probably in the middle of a pandemic, to buy a new BMW. Exactly. But it's a good looking car. Yeah. I, I wish it was electric personally, but you know I guess it's good enough for now. So do you think this is gonna be a hard sell for Tesla? I mean, you 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 compare Tesla to Apple in the sense that they do like to control their ecosystem. So do you, this is, mm -hmm. you think this is going to be a hard sell for Tesla to say, hey, you know, we want them to use our app? I mean, it's a tough call. The one thing I will say that I've noticed about Tesla that I haven't seen with Apple is Tesla does seem way more like responsive to user feedback. I mean, like imagine if you tweeted Tim Cook, hey, I want widgets and I was 14 and he was like on it. I, I just feel like that would be so cool. I, I hope that whenever we get the next Apple CEO that they take a more like Elon approach because I don't know, although Elon's kind of a weird guy in some senses. He definitely knows how to connect with his audience definitely. and you know people love it like people go crazy and it almost reminds me if steve jobs would have had a twitter account how that would have been or how, how we would have been able to interact tim cook is very uh, not standoffish but he keeps his private life i respect yeah. it like you know he's like apple is my job but i'm not going to make it my whole life so i think i think apple can probably work with them i feel like tesla's probably going to cave because I think Tesla knows what the best experience will be, and that'll be just having your watch, like because CarKey works with that. If you can just walk up to your car, passive unlock with your watch, it's going to be a better experience than having to carry your cell phone. Definitely, and it's only just keep in mind it's only supported for Apple Watch four and later, Series four and later, and then okay. um, they snubbed the iPhone ten, even though it has NFC. They snubbed it for CarKey, so it's only ten S and later, ten R and later, and then obviously the new iPhone SE <laughs> for some reason. Is yeah. on that car key support huh, list. That's super strange. Yeah. Oh, they're trying to get you to upgrade. <laughs> Sneaky ways. Yeah, yeah. We also talked about some security fixes that were obviously under the hood because Apple doesn't want to tell us what they're doing. Uh, yeah. iOS 12 received an update. It's nice to see that that software mm -hmm. support is still there for security fixes, even though if we don't know, even though we don't know what they are. Um, yeah. But it was across the board. WatchOS, TVOS, HomePod, they all saw uh, point. 0.2.8 and 0.4.8 updates, and they came in at uh, a little over five gigabytes. So it's a pretty hefty wow. security update. Yeah, I wonder what. Wonder what's hidden in there. Yeah, probably something related to a jailbreak. They love to, <laughs> they love to mess with. Well, that. I heard they blocked uh, downgrades to iOS 13.5.1 mm. this week, so that might have something to do with it. Yeah, that makes sense. iOS 14 beta three. That launched Ooh. earlier this week. I saw your video on it. What are your thoughts? The new music icon, clock widgets, double clock. I, lo <laughs> <laughs> I love that term. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. I love it a lot. I think, I mean, the beta team's always been really good and they're killing it this year as they always do. Like the clock widget's finally there. I feel like every feature almost that they announced at the keynote is actually in the firmware already, mm -hmm. which is pretty impressive for beta three. Like sometimes it'll take Apple to like a 13.1 or 13 or 14.2, I should say, to like actually get stuff in there, but they've really been killing it. I mean, I love it. What are your thoughts on well, it? Well, it's funny because this is one of the most stable beta, beta cycles we've ever seen. And it's interesting because we heard last year, I mean, obviously iOS 13 beta was kind of a cluster, right? Mm -hmm. With the mail app failing and things like that. It's not as bad as I think some people say it was, but we heard I that agree. there was this restructuring going on at Apple. And they said, okay, we're going to change the way that we we developed these betas, we're restructuring the whole team. And I think we've seen that because a lot of these betas uh, feel like GMs. They feel like Golden Masters that, mm -hmm. and um, you know the bugs are few and far between. So I think that restructuring played a part in how stable the betas are, how they're staying on top of features this year. Um, people have said that iOS 14 beta three is the buggiest of the beta releases so far. Have you had any experience with that? Someone texted me and said, hey, my clock widget's out of control. It's not showing the weird the the wrong time. It's showing the wrong time, and then um, the weather apps crashing, things like that. Mm -hmm. Have you experienced any of that? That's actually a good point. Uh, yeah, I feel like I feel like it probably is. Like, why did the FaceTime call like block my AirPods audio just a couple minutes ago when we were recording? Well, obviously, live. there's gonna like, be little bugs here and there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just feel like I, I feel like I have noticed a bit more. Like the weather widget, everybody's seen like the little black square it turns into on your home screen. It's it's kind of weird, but at the same time, I I don't know. Some people get a little like 
I'll have some people that tweet me or like message me and be like, feature this in a video. I found this one very oddly specific bug when I'm using Telegram and iOS 14. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, dude, like I get it, but it's like you're on a beta software. I, I don't know. The bugs don't bother me that much just because usually we go in with that perspective of like, this isn't going to be the best version ever. And then if it turns into that, it's like, oh, that's really, really cool. But, you know, I, I don't really mind the bugs. Even even this, it's like, well, this is the risk I took. Like, if this is happening on iOS 13.6, that's a different story. Yeah. But I'm on a beta firmware. It doesn't really bug me that much. Well, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you said, you know, you've been in the game for a long time, right? And I remember back in the iOS 5 beta days, you know, if you didn't know what you were doing, oh, well. you had to jump through a lot of hoops, right? And now Apple mm -hmm. makes these things so accessible with the public betas for, for iOS and Big Sur. For iOS, uh, for iOS mm -hmm. and iPadOS. And so when you start thinking about this stuff, people think that the right way to help the team is to tweet at Tim Cook when they should be using the feedback app. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's really funny. I, I feel like, I mean, I said the same thing at the end of one of my videos the other day. I was like, I mean, you guys could tell me what's up in the comments down below, but that's not exactly going to change the future of the firmware. I, I've seen a lot of reports on Twitter, actually, of people saying that, like, the... Uh, the feedback app is, is very responsive this year. Like they're, they're, they tell you that it's going to be in this new beta and it really feels like you're having an impact on the software. Well, I wonder if they're ramping up those efforts with, with COVID-19 and stuff like that. We saw a whole new mm -hmm. discussion forum program for the Apple developer app during WWDC. I wonder if they're allocating those resources towards that to offer this unprecedented support. Sounds kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does sound really, really cool. Our next story... And this is a good one, the iPad Air. This comes from Ming-Chi Ko. So you might have heard mm -hmm. about this one. He's talking about some supply chain reports. A 10.8-inch iPad Air is on the way with an A13 processor. It's rumored to be shipping with the new 21-watt 21, 21 charger and a braided cable. What are your thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. Do you think that's going to be the new education model? I think it could be. Um, I, I'm personally excited. I'm hoping that uh, Love to Dream, my favorite leakers report, is right where he said it was going to be all screen design and in screen, you know, touch ID. That was like one of the first stories that he wrote when nobody was paying attention to the to the guy. And I mean, I I like the the fact that the screen size is getting bigger. I do question like if Apple's making the iPad Air 10.8 inches, then what happens to the iPad Pro? Because I don't get Apple having, like, I didn't even get the 10.2 inch iPad and the 10.5 inch iPad. Those are very close, except for slimmer bezels, essentially. Like, the average person's not going to really care. So, if you move that up to 10.8 inches, it's like, all right, well, what happens with the iPad Pro? I think it's going to be like a 11.5 or 12 inch model. Like, I, I just don't see them making the Pro iPad, even if it has an all screen design and the other one doesn't. Yeah. And the iPad Air that close. It just seems like it would eat into the other's profit margins. Like, it, it would almost you know, just convolute the whole lineup and in, in a lineup that I already think is hard to navigate with the mini, the, the iPad, the air, the pro, the bigger pro, like five, we had one iPad back in the yeah. day, you know, there's so many now. Well, and we see the current iPad air is that, you know, that, that blockbuster post PC price point, right? With 499. And so that's the OG iPad price. We saw these, these, mm -hmm. these premium prices kind of drop in with the release of the iPhone 10 and face ID and all these flexible screens and things like that. So do you think if Apple goes all screen with this iPad Air that it's going to cost more than $499? Or do you think that technology... Not, man. Or do you think that premium is because of Face ID? Dude, I know this. I know the Face ID sensor is expensive, but I hope that they don't increase the price too significantly because then, it, like, I mean, I don't know. It's also, like, you question Apple's pricing strategy because, like, everything has gone up in price over the years. Like, the iPad used to be... 500 bucks i should say everything but max max have actually relatively stayed in the same price range like the the 15 inch macbook has been around 2000 to 2500 dollars mm -hmm. for as long as i can remember yeah. and i remember being young and be like i can never afford this i can only get the 13 inch you know it's so expensive um because like for a, a kid that wants a 15 inch macbook it's like yeah i, I can't come up with 2500 dollars mm -hmm. like you know that's even with the education discount and like 2200 it's like that, that is a lot of money you gotta save up for a couple birthdays <laughs> a couple christmases but i i yeah i just add in a bunch of made-up holidays where you can get a couple bucks like it, it's expensive but I, I i can't see them increasing the price that significantly 
just because then it gets cl too close to the iPad Pro unless they do a you know a double switch where it's like the iPad Air goes up and the next iPad Pro goes up but I don't know a world where the iPad Pro is more expensive starting than $800 like you're going to have an ARM MacBook for hopefully like 1000 bucks it's it's it so, would definitely be a hard sell and it, and that's an important mm -hmm. question is does that premium price tag lie in the screen technology or that true depth facial sensing technology mm. it'd be interesting to see yeah for sure moving forward we have a report from ming chi ko again he's at he's back at it again with another one a 13.3 <laughs> inch macbook pro and he's saying this is going to be the first macbook with apple silicon he said apple wants to showcase the it. power um, and really drive it home by saying okay we're going pro and it's apple silicon what are your thoughts on that I don't get it. All right, they just updated the MacBook Pro in May of 2020. Why would you introduce a new version of that same model just a few months later in the same year? You know, like now, I don't know, the new iMac that's supposed to be coming. It would make sense for Apple to like start with Apple Silicon there if that's what they would do. But to like update a computer that's already been updated that year, uh, I mean, do a MacBook, do a MacBook Air, do something that, I mean, even the MacBook Air, though, was updated this year. Like, to me, it would make sense to start with the 16-inch MacBook Pro, put Apple Silicon in, in a, the top-tier model first, show, like, the best capabilities. Mm -hmm. It's like a sales technique. Like, you want to show somebody, you want to build up to what's the best yeah. rather than, uh, I guess that would be sort of contrary to what I was saying. Apple should start with, like, something smaller and then build up. But in this case, I, I don't really... I don't know. What do you think? Like, to me, it doesn't make sense to double update that MacBook. Well, immediately, when I heard about Apple Silicon just a few weeks back during the keynote, I immediately went to the MacBook. And I say it that way because mm. people are like, which MacBook are you talking about? Just the MacBook. <laughs> yeah. I immediately went to that, and I'm thinking, wow, this could really crush the Chromebook market. The reason yes. why Apple hasn't made a breakthrough in the education market is because Google's selling these Chromebooks like hotcakes, and they're cheap as heck. Mm. Imagine if you could get... Yep. A computer for three twenty nine, you know, the price of an iPhone SE or a ten point two inch oh. iPad, and you get a MacBook Air wow. for college or for school, middle school, high school, whatever, whatever that may be. And we've all we've all kind of ran with this assumption that they're going to be cheaper because of Apple Silicon. We don't really know, mm -hmm. um, but we can assume that if Apple is controlling the whole supply chain, um, that that that's going to happen. That we're going to see price increases. So my mind immediately went yeah. to. Um, like a 12, 13 inch education model that's a MacBook or a MacBook Air. Mm. And and then people started saying, well, well, no, pe Apple wants to assure people that the power is there with Apple Silicon. That Apple Silicon doesn't mean, okay, we have this meh computer down here, this okay computer, and then our pro stuff still has Intel. So mm. there's been, there's, I can see that. There's been this whole side where people are saying they want to showcase the power of Apple Silicon by shoving it in a pro model an iMac Pro, sure. something like that. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah, I agree. Quo's expecting this this new MacBook Pro to tout a 14-inch screen. He's expecting the MacBook Air to lower in price. And this is interesting because you see Apple working on, on their silicon for over a decade, right? And we've seen what's possible in the iPad. It's phenomenal. This comes, this report of Apple Silicon, just a few weeks later, we we hear Intel is delaying their seven nanometer chips. <laughs> so where Apple's, in some terms, I'm already a mile ahead, they're lapping them again because Intel is receiving these delays with their seven nanometer chips. They're experiencing yield degradation. That's what they said. And so we're seeing Apple really jump ahead before they even have a product out uh, with ARM-based chips. So that's kind of interesting. That Intel's yeah, already been enabled. Oh, I, I, I mean, I feel kind of bad for the company. Like, I don't know. I mess around with like investing as one of my side hobbies. Yeah. And I, I was just reading like something this morning right when I woke up, and it, as somebody described Intel as it wasn't like a sinking ship, but it was like something quite negative. Like you don't want to be described as that if you're a company like Intel. And it was essentially saying like with this delay, like there there's no value in that company anymore when Apple's making their own chips. And I know a lot of people have shared that same. I mean, like, I don't agree that there's no value in Intel. Like, they're a very big company. They're going to come out of this. I don't sure. think Intel's going away. But they haven't exactly 
they haven't innovated at the same level as Apple, which is weird to me because I always think of like, I, I almost feel like the chip comes first and then the great computer's there, where Apple sort of said, let's make the great, great computer and in the background, let's play catch up with our own chips. But you kind of saw that with Android back in yeah. the day. Like I remember Androids always used to be more powerful than the iPhone uh, for from the iPhone like 3GS to the 4 to the 4S. And I was like, oh, you know, that, that sucks that like, you know, Apple's not as powerful, but hey, it's still a really great experience. And now every single year they can just say, hey, easily by far, this is the fastest mobile phone. And now they're going to be able to do that with the Mac as well. And I, I, I'm fascinated to sh- see the shift from like PC gamers to who are traditionally very anti-apple hate it no support for gaming like if apple can come out with their own chips and just get a a piece of that market and developers are like oh it actually is viable and makes sense for us to make games on the mac now it's gonna be cool like i'm very excited for for apple silicon whatever the new computer is that comes out i'm i'm definitely gonna be grabbing it just because i I gotta experience for sure i mean it's all speculation at this point and i love talking about it the mm-hmm. interesting thing to note, though, is you, you talked about how, you know, Androids always used to be more powerful than the iPhone. And that's largely the case with MacBooks, right? You're paying $2,000 for a mm-hmm. MacBook that has, you know, an i5 in it, right? Yeah, exactly. And so people have, you know, Apple gets a lot of hate for that. But you're seeing better performance optimization on Apple computers. You're seeing better integration cross-platform on Apple platforms. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why a lot of people keep going back to Apple products, back to the Mac, back to the iPad. I mean, my my iPad Pro performs better than most MacBooks, and it only has four gigs of RAM. And Apple's phasing out four gig uh, MacBook Pros that have four gigs of RAM with the next release of macOS Big Sur. If your MacBook mm-hmm. has four gigs of RAM, you will not be able to run macOS Big Sur. So with oh. them phasing out products that have four gigs of RAM, I have an a latest gen iPad and has four gigs of RAM and it still performs better than most MacBook Pros in day to day tasks and photo editing, email, things like that. So when you put sort of the, the software optimization and the cross platform integration with things like iCloud in perspective, that's why a lot of people end up choosing the Mac. And that's Apple's whole agenda is mm-hmm. to control everything from the top down, supply chain, silicon, everything. I think that's their end goal. Yeah. It's scary to see that, well, not scary, it's awesome, but it makes me a little sad. I'm like, I've got this $5,000 iMac Pro, and then it's like, why Why can my $800 iPad Pro get a little too close for like my own, you know, my own comfort here? But I mean, that, like, it, it sucks now. It's going to be awesome in the future, like, because then we're going to get that, and Apple's going to be able to potentially, like, stack two of their ARM processors in a Mac to double their performance or do something wild. And I mean, obviously have proper heat sink like stuff on the Mac for the chip. So it, it, it's going to be amazing. Like it's something that I haven't really focused on enough on my own reporting just because the Mac is never, you know, that popular when compared to the iPhone or the iPad or the Apple Watch or AirPods. But uh, in, in my heart, I'm like, this is this is going to be big. Can't We're wait. all really excited. And interesting yeah. with the onset of the pandemic, we've seen Mac sales up by 30 percent this quarter. So that's that's yeah. quite interesting. <laughs> Uh, we have Apple's earnings call coming up, so we'll talk more about that in a moment. Mm-hmm. Apple is saying they are remaining committed to the speed and flexibility that Thunderbolt offers. So this comes just before Intel announces Thunderbolt 4, right? Which, which doubles the minimum requirements for video and data, has all these amazing things. You can transfer one hour of 4K video in 10 seconds while also being connected to two 4K or one 8K displays. A lot of specs, a lot of numbers here. Do you use dual mm. monitors? Is that something that you work with or are you going to benefit from this? I never have. Uh, I've always thought about it, but I I think if I was... Uh... <laughs> If I was stacked enough to have like two, if I was a Marquez Brownlee out here with my like my eight four K like pro or five K pro display XDRs or six K whatever it is, I think I would I think I would definitely consider it. But for me, like the twenty seven inch iMac, I've got enough real estate. Like right now, I've got like Safari pulled up, you know, Logic to record my audio, and I really like the screen real estate. And for me, like the workflow is it's perfect on here. Like it's just big enough for what I need to do. So I've never really love that because i think it does fragment the experience a little bit 
when your mouse kind of goes from place to place. But Apple does a pretty good job with I've it. I've tried to use it. And like you said, I always feel like there's a disconnect in the experience. Like, where am I dragging the mouse? Yeah. Where is everything? And I kind of get lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's just kind of, I don't know, I guess the nature of using two displays. Yeah, some people like it, some people don't. I think that's the nature of it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Well, moving forward, we have some more Mac news. We're sticking with the Mac. Back to the Mac again. 2020 MacBook Airs and Pros, they were having this issue with USB-C 2.0 accessories. Have you heard about this? I actually, I'm not super familiar. So a few users of the latest gen MacBook Airs and Pros, they were plugging in uh, USB 2.0 accessories and immediately seeing their computer crash, freeze, or system failure completely. Crazy bug. Yeah, that's a good day right there. Yeah, and that was on the latest version of macOS Catalina. However, last week, Apple seeded an update, uh, 10.15.6, to macOS Catalina. And the release notes say, addresses an issue where USB 2.0 may lose connection, but users are seeing that it fixed everything else. So Apple's being very subtle about that. But I was wondering if you had any firsthand experience with that, because it's not something I've seen. Yeah, I don't think I have any USB um, 2.0 accessories. I, I'm... (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, I've got obviously like USB 3 stuff where like I have like a mouse USB that I like plug in whenever I'm not using the Well, that's what uh, I want to know magic mouse. is, you know, who who's hooking up their Mighty Mouse to their latest Gen iMac? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I mean, there's there's some people out there. There's, there's a big vintage Mac community that just oh, loves no, to like sure. do You've seen those videos like, does original iPod sync with 2025 iMac Dude, I'm a nerd or something for that crazy? Stuff. I, I, I was just... <laughs> I was messing with all my old stuff back in the day, just a couple days ago. It's cool. Um, yeah, it's a really fun hobby. I saw like, it. And it's crazy that Apple's support. Yeah. I saw someone on Twitter, uh, no optimization needed software-wise or anything like that. They plugged in the hockey puck mouse from the uh, the candy-colored iMac, the Aqua iMac, mm-hmm. and it worked on the yep. iPad Pro. That was a cool Twitter post. Wow. That's really, really cool. It's impressive. Yeah. It's crazy, like you said, how years down the line, all that stuff is still supported. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, Apple, <laughs> you got to give them credit for that. Like, they're pretty good at not phasing stuff out too, too quickly. Except for, you know, uh, car key with the iPhone. I'm just 10. hoping I'm my AirPods like, will connect automatically when Macs have Apple Silicon. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, I, I have a feeling that they'll probably, like, introduce that in an update, like macOS 11 point, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Okay, so we were talking about uh, Apple's quarter three earnings call. We touched on that a little bit. There's a few numbers to talk about here. You may have some insight on this. You say you play around with investing. You dabble a bit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, a little bit. So on July 30th at 2 p.m., they're going to hold their their quarter three 2020 earnings call. Um, last year, they set a record. It was $53.8 billion is what they reported. Um, the projected numbers this year are down. They're down to $51.4 billion. What are your thoughts on that? What do you think contributes to that number falling down to 50, from 53 to 51 billion? I think, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's very easy as like a, a amateur investor to be like, well, the virus had this impact and, you know, you can clearly, like, I don't know, obviously that's impacted pretty much every way of life around the world, especially um, here in the U.S. So I, I don't know, I, I have a feeling that they might be a little bit higher than that 51 billion just because... I think we almost amazingly overestimated what the virus would do to everything because, well, personally, like I'm not spending as much money as I usually do. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's not the case for everybody. So it could it could potentially end up being a little bit higher. But I also wouldn't be surprised at all if they were like, we're actually lower than this because nobody's buying an iPhone. Like Mac sales for sure makes sense to go up because everybody's working from home now, maybe even iPad. Mm-hmm. But I feel like most people are going to be like, Hey, I've got this iPhone. You know, I know new ones come out in September usually. Like I and I feel like iPhone sales are historically they start to slow down around Q2, Q3 just cuz everybody's waiting for the next for one. For sure. We all, we see that every year. You know, it's interesting because Apple doesn't support or Apple doesn't disclose their unit sales anymore, right? They haven't done that for many, many mm-hmm. years. But we hear insider reports and we hear things like, okay, well, Mac sales are up by 30% and iPads holding steady and things like that. So I think you can really attribute it, attribute this to the iPhone. A lot of people are on four or five year update cycles now, especially with that 
unprecedented mm-hmm. software support that Apple's offering. I mean, the 6S is gaining iOS 14. That's phenomenal. Can't believe it. Yeah, it shocked me when I heard that. Some more iPhone news. So we're on the topic of iPhone. We're talking iPhone 12. There's a new battery certification listing. Uh, this comes um, from an Asian uh, import list that someone found. We don't know if it's accurate or not, but it's a, a leak, right? Mm-hmm. And someone's saying that the batteries are significantly smaller in the newer iPhones. So you have a 5.4-inch display on the iPhone 12. It's 2,227 milliamps. 6.1-inch packs the same 2,775 milliamps. So very small batteries. Oh, sorry, not the same. 5.4-inch packs 2,227 milliamp, and the 6.1-inch packs the 2,775 milliamp. So tiny batteries compared to what we have now. The 11 Pro is over 3,000 milliamps, and the 11 Pro Max is almost 4,000 milliamps. Um, Mm -hmm. We've talked a lot about this. People are saying, like, oh, no, the battery life in the new iPhone is going to suck. Apple set a precedent with how great the battery life is on the iPhone 11. I don't think they're willing to go down. Mm-hmm. I have a theory on this, but I want to hear your insight. Sure. I am a little concerned hearing those numbers. I did see a, a new Mac Rumors article. It's like a follow-up that said the 6.1-inch iPhone's battery is actually going to be a couple hundred milliamp hours bigger from like another, you know, somebody got a photo of like the battery that passed like some sort of certification. I'm not sure exactly where in the world, but... It, it's a little very concerning for me like my only idea is the bodies of the 12s appear to be a little bit smaller mm-hmm. as far as like their their height so apple's gonna do some magic with the a14 like just like with the a13 they didn't make the batteries that much bigger and they give you four more hours on a 5.8 inch phone perhaps they'll be like you know you get an hour more because apple silicon like this is our big this is a big processor out here that that's my like hopeful part the other part of me that's not as hopeful is they're going to be like gets about the same battery life and it's actually like 30 minutes shorter or something we've seen that we saw that totally with the iphone 6 right yeah maintains the same as the iphone 5s the iphone 5s was impressive for the time (laughs) yeah but then it was like all right now every android phone is doing way more we saw someone in the comments what's your theory it's Someone in the comments here actually mentioned my theory, and you touched on it a little bit. He said he said it best. He said, lower capacities may indicate higher chip efficiency. It's actually Paraj. It's one of our writers over there at Appleosophy. Um, he wrote the article about this. Yeah, lower capacities may indicate higher chip efficiency. We saw them do this with uh, the A13. We know how power efficient mm-hmm. the A13 is. And so like you said, I can definitely see some magic going on there where they either maintain sure. that already awesome battery life or they end up improving it just because of chip efficiency. Um, mm-hmm. but I, the A14 is expected to offer this unprecedented power um, at an even more power efficient package. Um, do you know anything about if that's if they're going 5 nanometer or 7 nanometer with that? trying to remember I haven't heard any reports feel on like that. I feel like I may have heard five from a report like a long time ago but don't quote me on that <laughs> I, I can't recall we always get lost in the specs yeah yeah there's I mean there's so many reports that come out <laughs> like especially I was I was looking uh at Digitimes's page on Apple track the other day yesterday night actually and I was just scrolling through to see what they had put out and they had they're predicting uh macbooks with 5g or 4g connectivity to launch in the second half of this year and i'm like i'm pretty sure you got that confused with like you know the arm chip and like side of an iphone or something but like that's that's something that came out that like you know nobody's talked about for a year because it's so old Mm -hmm. and i'm like hmm i don't i don't know that's actually (laughs) real don't know whether to trust that one exactly moving forward we had at&t send this absurd email to its customers (laughs) did you hear about this one (laughs) I actually read your guys' story on it once I was looking at the show notes because I was like, I haven't heard about this. And ironically, like two days before, I'd actually tried to switch to AT&T and then some other order got canceled. And I'm like, maybe maybe I'll stay away from it. Just hold on. Yeah. Well, good thing you did because they're emailing 2019 and 2020 smartphone users to tell them, hey, we're phasing out your hardware in 2022. (laughs) But the only thing is they didn't say 2022. They just said we're phasing out your hardware, period. So, oh, no. so this is talking about, obviously, if you do your research, they're talking about the uh, 3G and 4G LTE, 4G LTE voice and data support. 
So you need to have a phone that supports HD voice, which works directly over LTE, soon 5G, um, in order to continue to benefit from AT&T's voice and data services. So that's what this email was trying to tell you. Um, but they were talking about how shady this email is uh, on behalf of its customers. There's a quote from Android Police. They talked about it right here. They said, this is odd to say the least. While it is an issue users will have to face in the near future, it is confusing that their carrier pushes them to change their devices in the middle of a global pandemic. Even though AT&T says this was a mistake, the fact that they would try to scare their user base is pretty shady. What are your thoughts? Yes. Agree. <laughs> I agree with that quote. Agree. No, yeah. Man, I, I'm always Im- I'm impressed that like companies yeah, that big, you know, almost the, the too big to fail mentality have PR... Uh, Apple's another great example where they they did the interview and Phil Schiller or somebody was like, yeah, I mean, a five nanometer bend is like expected in the iPad Pro. <laughs> and you're like, what? Who said that this was who? Like, first of all, why is that real? Second of all, why is that OK? Third, third, why are you talking about this like candidly, but like shadily through like a, a third party news outlet? Like, it's just I'm always impressed when companies have these huge budgets like you know they're economically stable and then the people working in the pr department it's almost like they're not thinking or something like they don't think about that 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 message is going to hit a mainstream audience it's almost like this is not internal company (laughs) messaging where employees aren't going to freak out if you say the ipad bends but somebody that just spent their entire paycheck on an ipad is going to be like what if it bends a little bit like are you kidding me i knew i had my (laughs) pre-order in and when i heard that i was like what you know, yeah, this is, it's this weird. Like, feel why? Like Apple. <laughs> Not at all. It, it was very. It was weird. And then, then you get the people that are like, I think The Verge broke the story on that, and and people were like, The Verge is paid by competitors to say bad things about Apple, and it's like, no, that's a that is a direct quote from an Apple like spokesperson that they got like the, this is not fake and then they're like it's fake news because nobody else is I, you know, yeah the the whole landscape on twitter it is like a war zone and it's worse now it's, when everybody's stuck at home because they have nothing better to do right oh. <laughs> yeah my i've seen my followers like go up somewhat significantly lately and i'm like yeah this is everybody like me is just on twitter all day like this isn't healthy yeah this isn't what humans are supposed they to manage do. our screen time <laughs> oh i know i'm, I'm scared to look scared at scared to look at the screen time feature well, it's interesting because we were talking about that. It's like you you have these big companies. How many people had to see this press release before it went out or this email before it went out or whatever? It's like you don't have people that look at these kinds of things. Exactly. The whole thing we had with the de- yeah. with, with, with the developers too. We had uh, or that, that one email app. What was the name of it? Yeah. They were talking about it, uh, Hello. Hello, the Hello email app. And Phil Schiller made these comments like, mm-hmm. well, you know what? Like it or hate it, this is the app store and we're not going to change. It's kind of like I, <laughs> I have not spoken publicly on that, and I, I've actually been concepting a video just about Apple as a company uh, and some of their policies because it's very easy for us to get caught up yeah. in the greatness of iOS 14 or you know whatever they're doing with the new iPhone 12. But then there's there's a counter side where you're hearing about forced labor. In Asia, that story has been blowing up lately about how, you know, there's evidence that Apple's doing that, even though they claim that they're not at all. And then you've got on top of that, the the fact that Phil Schiller is saying these things about the App Store. And, and it's like, listen, I get you want to defend your principle here because you, you find that important. But also, do you guys really need that much money? And like now there's a huge antitrust investigation into them because people are asking, well, wait a second. Yes, this is a private company who owns this private app store, but considering that there's a monopoly in some parts of the world, is that actually fair? Is that stifling competition, which is, you know, obviously breaking the whole principle of a free market? Like, is that, and I'm not necessarily, I agree or disagree. Yeah. It's just people are asking these questions. And I think they are questions that do need to be asked. Like these are things that have to be thought about because Apple is sort of the gatekeeper for what comes and goes. They get to say, this gets to go here. This doesn't get to go here. Usually they're in the right. Sometimes, like with Hey Email, you know, the fact that these companies still can't offer subscription stuff in app, you know, outside, even through their own processes. Yeah. You know, I, I read the whole 
email from from Hey to to Apple, and they were like, we can't even talk to our customers when they have an issue because Apple doesn't give us their billing info. They don't give us. A, we can't cancel an order that we have to tell them to go through Apple. So it's a two step process instead of one. And that shouldn't and it happen. Seems like yeah, it's so easily fixable as well. And you know, yet again, Apple says no. You got to use us. Works a lot of the time, but there are definitely certain circumstances where it's like, all right, guys, come on. Like, let's, let's get it. You know, I feel like there's an echo chamber at Apple yeah. where they're all just like, no, we, this, this is ridiculous. Well, how, how could we, you know, they're not, they, they don't remember what it's like to be that starting up developer or even that mid tier developer, like people, which is funny because they talk about their corporate environment and say, we always maintain this idea of we're a startup. We always maintain, mm-hmm. you know, the small teams and, you know, the open thought process, things like that. And I, I, I definitely agree with what you, what you said about how it can oftentimes seem like it's echo chamber in there. It's like, these are our values and we're sticking mm-hmm. to them. And, you know, and no yeah. company's perfect. And a lot of people like to say that people like me and you are Apple sheep and we're going to blindly defend Apple. But uh, obviously on platforms like this, we're willing to call them out when they mess up. And no company's perfect, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. That's something I've always I've always tried to do because yeah. like <laughs> a couple a couple of my friends like Talisa Tech. He like you know he, he literally goes around as the Apple sheet, which I love to death. Yeah, I think that's awesome and for me. And he does a great job of calling them out as well. But I've always been in my content. I'm like I don't want to brand myself personally as one way or the other because I don't want people to have a preconception about definitely what I'm thinking. And I, I just I want to be honest. Like when that bending thing happened, I was like, "Come on, this is like this is let's call it what it is. This is stupid." Mm-hmm. Like I'm not, and, and sometimes I catch a lot of flack. And people will be like, "Oh, not a lot." And, and even if there is some, it's like you know, having the fairest stance on this company is more important to me than being seen as the person who only loves Apple. Like I don't. Yeah, and I think that's I, I wouldn't want to follow someone yeah. who's going to blindly defend. That's I think that's what sets your platform apart too. Is you, is you're honest. You know, we saw your video where you exposed the whole slick wraps thing. <laughs> you, did your, you had your sleuthing outfit on. It was yeah, very, was really very entertaining. But I, I love how, how honest and, and true you are to, to what's happening in the world and how you're so open about speaking on behalf of things. Sure. I really respect you for that. And that's why we wanted you to have on this, have you on this podcast. Yeah. Thanks, man. I mean, I, I feel like it's important, especially with, like Black Lives Matter, just I feel like it was something I had to speak on because I couldn't, I, I can't sit by the sidelines anymore Definitely. while this whole group of people is being treated unfairly. Yeah, and and when you have a platform, I think it's it's an it's your platform. You shouldn't have to be told yeah exactly how how to manage your own platform. So if you have the audience, yeah, I, you know, I think I think it should be your decision. Whatever you whatever messages you want to put out there, whatever you want to promote, whatever it is. Yeah, I appreciate that perspective. I feel like that's a very like healthy way to to use a platform. Is like this, there shouldn't be a rule as to what you can or cannot say. It should be, you know, what what you're feeling as a human being. Definitely. Well, we're edging the end of the podcast. Um, let's take a few questions from from our viewers here. Uh, you guys want to send some questions down in the comment section, and we'll we'll go ahead and and look at them. Okay, we have a few to start off. Someone said, "What's happening to the Mac Pro? Is that going to have Apple Silicon?" Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I feel like eventually, right? Well, it's funny because there's this whole conception, out th- this whole thought process out there where Apple's like, people are thinking, oh my God, Apple's phasing out Intel entirely. Just overnight, Intel's going to be dead and we're not going to support it and everything. Mm. And we saw the interview with Craig, with John Gruber, and he says, you know, we remain, we remain committed to Intel. It's just absurd that people would think we would leave all these people behind when, you know, for over a decade we've been supporting Intel <laughs> since the PowerPC days. Yeah. And so um, it's interesting, though, when you like you said, you have people that's that are spending, you know, ten, twelve thousand dollars on a computer that has Intel. If this Apple Silicon stuff comes along and it's blowing Intel out of the water. You might feel like you're missing out. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they said the timeline was like uh, two, two years for the full transition. Yeah, they said they're going to begin the transition later this year. And they expect the transition to Apple Silicon to be finished entirely within the next two years. So imagine a tower wow. PC that's just wafers of <laughs> of Apple Silicon, no fans, completely yeah. quiet. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of feel bad for people that bought the Mac Pro. Like, I get it's been out for a little bit now, but yeah. I mean, that I, I feel like that machine's just going to go like 
it's just it's gonna be like I mean every but they, you can say that about every platform like every computer every I feel like Apple's just they've only shown a little bit of what it can do and I feel like they're doing that intentionally so that when the first reviews come out people are like what like yeah. this doesn't even feel real you know it's so and I, I'm hoping that it's just so nuts that we're like I feel like there's an error. You know, Geekbench is not even processing this correctly. Well, and, and we saw that comment from Craig Federighi. He was speaking about this, and he said, this is what our silicon team can do when we're not even trying. I mean, we jammed an yeah, iPad chip yeah. into a Mac Mini, and that's the dev kit, right? And mm-hmm. so he said, this is what our team can do when we're not even trying. This is a, a mobile chip. Wait till we start kicking this stuff up for the big boys. Yeah. Oh, I can't yeah. wait. It's going to be so cool. So, it, I mean, that was a truly historic day for the Mac. Really awesome. So the next mm-hmm. question says, do you think with the new update to macOS making it very similar to iPadOS, do you think the two softwares will be integrated? Hmm. <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day because they are getting very similar. Mm-hmm. Um However, Apple has said, you know, multiple times, we are not going to combine these. These are not going to be the same thing. And the, I mean, the closer they get, the bigger questions I have, you know, especially with Big Sur, which I love the design of, by the way. I just, I really start to question like, eh, are you guys telling the truth here? Are you going to do one of those Apple bait and switches where it's like, well, at the time we meant that, but then we saw it was the better experience. What do you think is going to happen there? Well, a lot of people keep going back to like, well, Steve Jobs said, you know, the iPad would never have a pencil and look at where we're at. You know, we hear a lot of that. Yeah. And so people are never wanted an iPad mini. Yeah. People are fishing this stuff out of the water with, with Phil Schiller who said, Hey, you know, uh, we've tested this stuff internally. Touch touchscreen Macs don't work; they don't feel right. Uh, Steve Jobs even spoke about that before he passed. And so, people are are regurgitating a lot of that. We've all we've we've seen Apple pivot. We've seen them change the, their vision um, with things like the Apple Pencil. So, is a touch Mac touchscreen Mac in our future? I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. I can definitely see how the lines are being blurred. Uh, you, you know, you yes. have Big Sur which adopts many of the things that users of an iPad missed on the Mac, like a control center, like having those widgets there, like a, a beautiful design for the launch pad that feels very iPad-centric, right? Being able to organize your apps and folders. It feels more intuitive than scrolling through a finder window. And mm-hmm. so it, one of the reasons people love Big Sur is because it brings a lot of what they missed from the iPad back to the Mac. And it's it's sort of, Craig said, we're you know we're proving to people that we still love the Mac, <laughs> and mm-hmm. so he talked about that. Yeah, and I think it I think it worked. Yeah, and so we've seen this line being blurred. Where okay, last year in macOS Catalina we saw Catalyst apps, and that's a whole other discussion as far as how that implementation went. But now, if you read the fine print, we're seeing when developers submit an iPad app to the to the iPad App Store, the iPad OS App Store. There's going to be an automatic switch that publishes that app to the macOS Big Sur app store. So you, every iPad app is automatically uh, a macOS app by default, mm. unless you click and say, no, I don't want this available. It's there automatically. And that wow. goes into effect uh, sometime in 2021, um, on the, wow. I think early 21, 2021. So... We're kind of seeing this thing where the lines are being blurred. You have iPad Macs that are running fairly well on a Mac. You have legacy Mac apps like Photoshop that are being adapted for the iPad. <laughs> so it goes both ways. Um, I don't I don't see the, the, the two OSs merging entirely. But then you start to wonder if all the stuff's on the same silicon, the possibilities are endless. Yep. And Tim Cook talked a lot about that. He said that this is what makes our product so great is the silicon integration. That's why AirPods connect at the snap of a finger. That's why everything's so easy because that's all their hardware and software from the ground up. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting. It's an interesting thought, and it's one of those things. That I wouldn't be shocked if they weren't combined. I wouldn't be shocked if they were combined. I think Apple is probably 
you know, discovering a lot of things themselves. You know, engineers are like playing around with this and mm-hmm. they're like, whoa, we can do this that we've never been able to do before. You know, this on the Mac. I mean, it's like somebody who edits videos. I'm so excited to see, you know, an, a, a proper final cut update. Like what are export times going to do? What are render times going to do? How, you know, will I be able to do higher resolution video exactly. with a stutter on a cheaper MacBook? Like, you know, there's every, and everybody's got these questions. It's, you know, it's not just me. Everyone's like, how, how big is this going to be? How how wild are these improvements going to be? How how much is the integration going to be? Because we've seen what they've done on the iPhone; it's been incredible. Like now, now it's going to be on on the Mac. And what we've seen is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you see those 4K export times in LumaFusion, for instance, on the iPad Pro, and you're like, wow, you know, why can't my Mac be that fast? Mm-hmm. And and I think you know they did some demos. Of course, they they talked about how the Photos app is now backed by Metal, and I really lit wow. up when I heard that. I was like. No nice fluid scrolling in the Photos app. It's not just a port mm-hmm. of an app. It's actually an Apple app, right? Yes. And, I, and, and we, yes. you talked about that. You said, you know, it's disappointing when you purchase, you know, a, a upwards of a $2,000 machine, right? And it's running a watered-down version of an iOS app. You yeah. You want dedicated it's stuff, right? Sense. Dedicated software. Exactly. Exactly. Because... I like the idea of Catalyst apps, but I feel like there's a way to make it optimized without making it a bad optimization. Because yeah. there's good optimization that Apple does all the way around. But then you just get like, uh, like I don't know, the podcast app is okay, but like specifically um, news on the Mac, stocks on the Mac. It just, it's not there. And then I look at photos. I look at uh, music is actually pretty good on here, but it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel great. And you know, Apple's always been about let's make this thing great, yeah. not just good. So that's what's a bit that's what's confused me a bit. Like, could your engineers at Apple really not make a native voice memos app? Like, could you really not make a a, a native new I get that these are examples for developers to build from, but to a point. Yeah. And we've seen Apple account for some of the shortcomings of Catalyst um with inter- by by introducing stuff on the other side by saying hey we're going to add uh, a tab bar to the side of the iPad or we're going to remove mm-hmm. the the click wheel uh, time and date stuff from the reminders and clock app that way all the stuff just works better on a Mac so instead of mm-hmm. changing how the way it works on the Mac re-engineering it on the Mac they're going to say let's change iOS first and then just have it work from the top down well, Sam, I would like to thank you for joining today's episode, and we really hope we can have you back soon. Yeah, thank you so much, man. It was awesome talking to you, Brom, and uh, I would love to come back anytime. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. I think it was a great episode. Well, to wrap things up, I'm your host, Brom Shank. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for all the latest Apple news and rumors. Be sure to check out this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Echo, and other podcast platforms. Thank you for joining the show today, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you, Sam, so much. Thanks, guys. See ya. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.